VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here's Maradona again. He has Chaga to his left and Valdano to his left. He doesn't, he won't need any of them. Oh, you have to say that's magnificent. There is no debate about that goal. That was just pure football genius. Diego Armando Maradona was a football genius. To many, simply the greatest player we have ever seen. Nicknamed El Pibe de Oro, the golden boy, the youngster made his professional debut for Argentinos Juniors 10 days before his 16th birthday. He became the youngest player in the history of the Argentine Primera División. The great Boca Juniors came calling after 115 goals in 167 appearances at his first club and with it at Boca, a first domestic title. Soon though, Europe was his destination with Barcelona spending a world record fee of £5 million for a player who had been virtually kicked out of the 1982 World Cup. Well, Maradona mesmerized in Spain, but it was his next move to the slighted and forgotten city of Naples, which made him a true legend of the club game. His influence turned Napoli into first-time Serie A champions, followed by their second a couple of years later. And a UEFA Cup in 1989, he had breathed new life into the city off the field as well. During his time in Italy, Maradona was at his peak. He brought drive, determination, skill and drama, not just to his club, but also to his country on a global stage. As captain, he elevated an unfancied Argentina side to World Cup glory at the 1986 tournament in Mexico as his crowning triumph. The diminutive number 10 played every minute of every match and sewed himself into the history book, scoring the goal of the century in the quarterfinal against England, minutes after the infamous Hand of God. The game was a metaphor for the life and career of the man who was described as half angel, half devil. He struggled with demons throughout his life. Drug and alcohol addiction ensued as his larger-than-life personality and fun-loving lifestyle took over. His lowest point was maybe at the 1994 World Cup, this time kicked out of the tournament for failing a drugs test. But he will be most fondly remembered as a phenomenon, a football god, committed, determined, skillful, unbreakable. Maradona passed away aged 60 at his home from a reported heart attack. He leaves the football world in mourning, desperate for one last moment with, if not the greatest player, 
than certainly the most compelling player football has ever witnessed. This is the Game Podcast, and today are memories of Maradona. We reflect on the life of times of the great player. With me, Hugh Wisencroft today, Matt Dickinson, and Jonathan Northcroft. Gentlemen, how are you? Oh, a bit sad. Uh, yeah, it's good to good to speak to you. But yeah, I've, I've been, I, I still think it's still, um, you know, I mean, one of the greatest um athletes certainly footballers of, of our lifetime it's um and just to see the extent of tributes and just to almost try and get your head around the the scale of his life I, I think I, I still am trying to get my head around that Jonathan what was your reaction uh, when you heard the news it just feels like a bit of childhood has gone another bit of childhood to be honest um it, it, that kind of thing that makes you feel kind of both old and young at the same time because um uh, Maradona was was just a kind of towering figure for anyone of my age, Matt's age, that that loved football. And, and I think back to my first kind of you know playground memories. Maradona was one of the guys you wanted to be, um, and you, you sort of feel very sad on that part, and 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 kind of old when um, your icons pass in this way. But um, uh, it's also been a, in some ways, kind of bittersweet because it's been an excuse to go back and look at the old footage and um, just revel in him, absolutely revel in him. I mean, what a player. When he picked up the ball on the half turn, started running at midfielders and defenders, I can only describe it as a racehorse at the back of the pack, you know, approaching the line and just moving through the crowd as you see him rearing up from the end. You know, he just left people in his wake. He was incredible with the ball at his feet. Um, but for those that never got to, to see him or didn't see him much, can you can you put into words what Maradona's game was all about, Jonathan? Yeah, I, I think I've had to sum it up in one word. It would actually be courage because this is a really difficult thing to try and get across to younger people, I suppose, is that football was a very different game then. And the flair players, the, the skillful players were targets. They were walking targets for some brutal defenders and Maradona was the absolute epitome, the most skillful player you've ever seen, the, the best dribbler almost unique physically you know, this five foot four small squat strong as an ox but but a little guy and he has so many of those dribbles the, the, that famous goal he scored against England was just entirely in keeping with how he played the game, always picking the ball up, always dribbling trying to make something happen. He was a player that always wanted to make something happen and be the centre of a game. And he did that in the toughest of circumstances with players around him all the time, double marked, triple marked, trying to kick him. Um, and you just saw a guy that had this insatiable appetite to go with the incredible skill he had to triumph against adversity. And watching him, I think when I mentioned the playground, I think you related to that as a kid because he was a little guy. He wasn't a super athlete. He was a little guy like you were. You were a child triumphing against odds and um, playing like a kid, I suppose, and able to do that. And and it's extreme skill, but it's also extreme courage, I think, is is how he, how best to sum up how he played the game. And one of the reasons I think that it's, it's, it's difficult to compare across the eras is that just how football has changed. If only Maradona had played in this era where skills like his were actually allowed to, to breathe and flourish properly. Because a lot of those dribbles were cut down, you know, before he'd even started. 
and <laughs> we might have seen a lot more goals like he scored against England. You watch the videos back and there does, to, there does seem at times to be a disregard for his welfare when some of these defenders approach him. Um, but he was remarkable, Matt. Yeah, well, I was going to say on that, on that. I mean, as, as uh, I spent a lot of time researching his life for a project, and I actually I ended up in uh, Spain talking to Goicochea, the, the the guy who be, would become renowned thanks, I think, to the Sun um, newspaper as the uh, the butcher of Bilbao. I don't think anyone no, basically had been as he told me with quite high dudgeon, he'd, he'd been regarded as a sort of hard but fair, decent defender until then. But uh, you could you can always rely on the English papers to. Uh, Give a nickname that sticks, but he he basically cut down Maradona in his prime while he was at at Barcelona. I mean, it was a bad tackle. I I don't think it was it, not the worst you've ever seen, but it, it was certainly fitted as Jonathan rightly says a much 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 more brutal game there. But the amazing thing about that story, which I I think I'll uh, have to retell in my column today, was that he still had the boots from that day in a glass box it was like you know these relics of you know you could even get famous by breaking maradona's leg basically that's you know that's what it was that that is how he towered over the game is that you know say kicking him gave you lifelong notoriety and a, a lifelong nickname but he you know the main thing is how much how many of those tackles he rode you know as, as john ferrati says that squat frame the power in those thighs um he, you know, he he kept he kept going. He kept trying to play, even as he was scythed down time and time and time again. And I guess you sort of sum up there why people loved him so much as a player, because aside from the fact he was so skillful, so great to watch, he did try and take the game by the scruff of the neck. He was compelling to watch. He was dramatic. He. I mean, it was like a, a great series of EastEnders, I guess. I mean, it was just, you know, a roller coaster at times with him. You never quite knew what was going to happen next. And and athletes like that, not just footballers like that, who can take you from uh, the brilliant, the sublime to a moment of madness or drama, um, they, they almost resonate with people at home as being more human. Uh, I think that's part of what made Maradona so great as well. I think that's true, Hugh. And uh, if I look back on football heroes of that era, you know, we're, we're focusing now, I guess, uh, you know, with some of the obituaries on on Maradona's flaws. But a lot of the heroes were flawed in those days. You know, George Best was a famous one. G- Gaza came not long afterwards. Even you know, in Scotland, people like Jim Baxter and Jimmy Johnston, incredibly skillful, but had the had their demons. Um, even Gerd Muller. You know, I had problems with alcohol. Johan Cruyff was a chain smoker. So football heroes were not perfect. And maybe it's because of how the game was played that as important as anything was of these great players was their character. And often it was a character that was based around being a bit different, a bit individual. Maybe Zidane was the last example of that. I don't know. But, but you're right. Maradona, from the moment he walked on a pitch, wanted to be the focus, wanted to be the man. And that's why there's so many bits of footage of his warm-ups, you know, juggling the ball um, before the the, 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 the kickoff is taken. Because from the moment, he, he, it was joy, It was it was this was his arena, but he also wanted to be the focus of it. He wanted to um, achieve and win. And of course, we saw that in the way he drove substandard teams to great success, that he was actually capable of doing it. And I, I do think that's where, you know, I, Comparisons probably are invidious, but inevitable. You know, people talk about him and Messi, and in terms of a ball at their feet, clearly, you know, in the in the the 
stature of them and Argentinian and just beautiful, beautiful footballers. But I do think the one thing that, you know, is easy to, yeah, maybe to underestimate about Maradona is the character, as Jonathan says, and the leadership charisma. I mean, you speak to the, his teammates would go to the end of the earth for this guy because, you know, he, he wasn't just one of the most talented guys who's ever touched a football. He had a ferocious ferocious determination um a defiance about him i mean you know that day against england he was going to do whatever it took to shape history and this leadership quality uh, you know i do think that elevates him potentially even above messi um say because i think there's something about his you know i was lucky enough to spend a couple of hours with him once and you could just he he, he was five foot four five foot five but he had a towering personality this absolute sort of force of life and force of nature and i think that's that's the bit that you know the more i studied him the more that i was struck by was almost less the talent which is there for all of us to see but the fact that this guy carried a team and carried a nation of 30 40 million people he was i mean it, it was leadership wasn't it and and i think of the 82 world Cup, I'm sure you remember it well, Matt. Where um, some of the treatment he got in that in that tournament was horrific, particularly against Italy and Gentile, Claudio Gentile, the Italian defender. Just you know, every time he got the ball was was into him, smashing him across the face, kicking his heels, and I think he fouled him 23 times. And and Maradona, he, he got booked for complaining at the referee, but he didn't really react. It was in the game against Brazil, the next game. And again, he was getting kicked. He was getting scythed by people like Junior and so on. But he got sent off, not because he was kicked, but because a teammate was kicked. I can't remember who the guy was, but it was actually, that was his leadership. He snapped when it was not him, when it was a team that was being attacked. He himself was able to cope and deal with anything. But as Matt said, he saw himself as as the leader as as a person that was going to take the whole team with them and and it, it was typical of him that in that tournament the point where he actually boiled over was was when the team was under attack not himself what an amazing stat this is uh, just reflecting on the 86 and 1990 world cups 3% of all the fouls committed in both of those two tournaments were on diego maradona 103 times he was fouled in 14 games 62 times more than any other player. So you get an indication of of just how much he was targeted. And that doesn't even include 82, where, of course, many, as I said earlier, uh, feel he was virtually kicked out uh, of the tournament. Um, It's interesting you mentioned that warm-up with Napoli as well, because I watched that last night. And I think that Gary Lineker has has tweeted it, saying it's the greatest warm-up of all time, because... You, number one, get an indication of the joy and relaxation of a player who, of course, is in complete command of their skill set. You know, he doesn't really need to warm up much, but I'll give it a go. And if I'm going to give it a go, why not boogie boogie while I'm doing it, you know, and have a little dance, entertain the crowd at the same time. There are a couple of pieces of skill in there that he does without trying that you would say now, even if a player was putting their full concentration in it, into it in 2020, it's just a marvelous piece of skill. And the the way, the, the relationship that he had with the football, I think, was, was second to none. The goal, the greatest goal of the century, the goal scored against um, England is, a, is an indication of that. But just that warm-up alone, you know, he kicks the ball. And I know a lot of people tell the story, and we've seen the videos of him on the training ground, you know, blasting the ball into the air, not having to move, drops back down volleys it up again, drops back down where he is. You know, he's not moving. A lot of people tell the story about how, 
you know, he'd virtually stand on the spot. He could do things with a football. We know that, that no one else could. And it's funny, actually, because even though a lot of people say you can't compare eras, you know, I watch Diego Maradona and I see a player and I think, wow, I'd love to have him now. You know, he is a player who could walk onto a pitch. The Etihad, the, the new camp at the moment, um, Bayern Munich, Juventus, you know, and, and he'd walk into the team. You know, it, it's quite abundantly obvious to see what an incredible talent he was. And, and it, you know, it's almost a discredit to say he was born with it. But you watch the videos of him, you know, with a ball on his head as a young teenager, you know, when he was being dubbed the golden boy and maybe he was born with it. You know, there is an otherworldly talent there that I think is one of the reasons when you watched it, your eyes are just transfixed, mesmerized by him. Um, I wanted to talk about the 1986 World Cup, though, um, because England fans in particular see Diego Maradona in a certain light because of a certain goal, uh, the hand of God, no less. Um, and, and, and the word cheat is sometimes thrown at Diego Maradona for that. And I know he spoke about the hand of God and saying, look, you know, it's different in South America. You know, you know, we, we talked about diving earlier on this season, you know, and the word clever being used for that, you know, that goal, that, that hand of God goal is something that in football in that time with no VAR and no one to watch things back and scrutinize every moment, you know, you could, you can far more easily get away with. Um, was that unfair though? Do you think some of the negatives said about him as, as a player? Um, well, Jonathan will probably um, have a good chuckle about that that, that game. So I'll, I'll let the English uh, the Englishman speak before the Scotsman um, rubs it in. But no, I, you know, it's it's to me. I mean, on the day, I still remember being on there on the day. What would I be in seventeen ish um, and watching the game, realizing it was handball, erupting with fury, threw a book across the room. I think I might even have hit my mum with it, which didn't go down very well. Um, but yeah, you know, as an English fan on the day, raging. Uh, but if you're still holding on to that rage, you are missing the pic- the big picture. You are you are depriving yourself of the joy that that should come. We're talking about Maradona. It was outrageous because that's what Maradona did. He did the outrageous. He did the outrageous in the best possible ways with skill. He did the outrageous in the worst possible ways with with some of his other behaviour that I'm sure we'll get onto. But that's that was him. He didn't, you know, he was, I think I mentioned this morning, you know, most of us are sort of conformist by nature. He was the opposite. He wanted to defy. He wanted to test every boundary. And that day, you know, it was... And it's, you know, it was a piece of cheating, but it's the type of piece of cheating, I'm afraid. You know, people, some people are going to have to get over themselves. Lionel Messi playing for Barcelona punched the ball into the net in exactly the same way. He didn't, and ran off celebrating. You know, he didn't come and apologise. You know, do we judge Thierry Henry? You know, do, do, do people say that Thierry Henry's career is for, you know, I mean, it was a huge stink at the time, what happened against Republic of Ireland. But I don't hear other people sort of, you know, when his obituary is written, it's not going to be the first line in the book, is it? So, you know, it was to me, you know, I'd say on the, at the time it was outrageous, you know, it, 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 and, and it made me angry, outrageous. Now I have to say, you just have to put it as part of the extraordinary Maradona story and, and to see some people still almost make it the first thing that they reference as if I can never forgive him. Yeah. I think Peter Shilton said something about that. I think basically sort of get over yourself. Yeah. I mean, well, I, I don't want to uh, embarrass Matt, but I mean, he's written a beautiful piece today about Maradona in, in, in the Times, and, and I was glad for it because there's also an obituary in the Times that, that I'm afraid 
does focus rather on on Maradona and deviousness and and so on. And it's you know it's not alone. There's other newspapers have covered it that way. And 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 I I find it um, I, yeah I find it a sad reaction. And 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 there's the looking at newspapers around the world. This is you know England is the only country where there is this sort of coverage of Maradona for obvious reasons that happened against England. And I watched that as a as, as a well, 15 year old, 14 year old. And I think I've said in this podcast before, I'm, you know, joking aside, I'm not, I'm not a, one of those sort of Scots who's going to, you know, Maradona was presented with a, an award from the Tartan army for that goal. I think that's pathetic and silly to be quite honest. And when he scored, I didn't, I didn't cheer. I didn't think, Oh great. He's cheated England. I, I thought that was a piece of cheating. However, um, he then scored the most sublime goal you've ever seen in your life. And when you take a step back, that hand of God goal, it was a refereeing mistake. No different to the the Frank Lampard goal that never was in, in Bloemfontein. It's not Maradona's fault it was allowed to to stand. Um, it was, it was a, as Matt said, we're not going to remember Thierry Henry as a guy that handled the ball against Ireland. Um, I could point out that when England played Argentina in the 2002 World Cup, Michael Owen dived against Pochettino to to win a penalty and win England that game. So, you know, maybe there was revenge on the pitch. So so I don't think I think people need to to move on from that. But one of the reasons it's inescapable that it became such a big thing was of course the times we're talking about the nineteen eighties, the Falklands War wasn't wasn't, you know, in the in the very recent memories. Um there was a heated um there's a heat around that game because of that historical context. Also, and I think Matt lived through this as, as more than I did, I suppose, um, as part of the, the the English press for longer. But there was a huge pomposity about the coverage of the England team in that era, and I got the tail end of it coming in in sort of two thousand. And Matt would have seen more of it. But you know, every defeat was treated like a national disaster and a national event, and um, it. Anything that happened to the national team was seen in this elevated context, and and that Maradona goal was 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 part of it, and that's why so much was made of it. And and it seems to me the the worst thing he did in people's minds was was to say the hand. You know, if he hadn't if he said nothing, if he hadn't called it the hand of God, then then it wouldn't have been as big. But it's the fact that it was his cheek. He didn't he didn't apologise for it. In fact, he was rather sort of proud of it, and I think that's what upset the English even more but you know I, I, I can't really get inside that psychology because I'm, I'm I'm not English but I just would agree with, with Matt that it's a small part and it's time to move on in the uh, Capadia film the documentary which if anyone hasn't watched they really sh- you know the first thing you should do after you've listened to this podcast is go and stick that film on I'm, I've already sort of set myself the mental note that I'm going to watch it at least once this weekend but um I think in that Daniel Arcucci, who I think was his, his Diego's ghostwriter for his autobiography, said, I think he describes that match as a little bit of cheating, a lot of genius or something similar to that. And I think that's that's the proportions it should be in, basically. And that's the proportions his life should be in. And, you know, if people want to obsess about Diego and, and, and dark, darkness, you know, he does get thrown out of the the '94 World Cup, and that's you know, if you want to get upset, get a you know you get more upset about that one, not not the hand of God. Hey, Jonathan, I'm just surprised you haven't heard of the dive of God. You know that's all they talk about in Argentina. <laughs> with you. you know, Michael Owen is a pariah there. Um, I, I you know I, I do want to um, just quickly talk about Argentina because I've spent a lot of time there in my life. I had family living there. I visited four or five times. Um, 
Diego Maradona, if you didn't think there was a God and you weren't a religious person and you arrived in Argentina, you would certainly think there was a God called Diego. I mean, religious fanaticism probably isn't a strong enough term to describe how he is seen and loved by people in Argentina who I'm sure are mourning and I've spoken to people there um, since and, and they are, you know, three days of national mourning called by the president, I, I guess, underlines um, his feeling there. You know, I, I went to see the uh, tomb of Eva Peron when I was in Argentina, who, of course, was a much loved person by many uh, in the country as well. And it really pales into comparison. You know, it really does just how Diego Maradona is seen. I mean, he is the man. And um, we might talk about it a little bit later on, but I think one of the, the reasons Messi doesn't get sort of adulation that he probably deserves is because Diego was, I mean, he transcended everything. I mean, he was uh, unbelievable from his backstory, his life story to what we saw on the pitch as well. And, and I guess that's one of the reasons we, we are talking about him. Um, but I did want to stay on 1986 as well, because you're right, Matt, it wasn't just the hand of God. There were not just moments of brilliance in that match against England, but it was probably his crowning moment in terms of picking an Argentina team that many thought had no chance of winning a World Cup, leading from the front, captaincy, but also in his play and taking them to a World Cup triumph. We'll talk about the triumph in a second. The goal, the greatest goal of the century, certainly the greatest goal that I have ever seen. I just wanted to talk about that very quickly as well. For me, it is just magnificent on a pitch like that in Mexico at the Estadio Azteca. The ball is bobbling. It, it, it's it's really strange. I mean, you watch it and it's like this telepathic relationship between him and the ball. Every time it hits a divot, he's like, oh, I won't touch it just yet. He he holds it so gracefully, you know, as if it is made out of of crystal and could, you know, splash smash into a million pieces at any time. You know, it's just the most incredible goal. And I spoke to Terry Fennick uh, last night, actually, who was in the England defence on that day. He, he told me a story about trying to kick Diego Maradona off the pitch. He said he went off at one point for four and a half minutes for treatment because I kicked him so hard and I thought, that's it, he's done. He's not coming back. Um, which is sort of a typical Englishman in defence type story. Um, and he said he looked over and he saw Diego Maradona sort of smiling, limbering up you know, <laughs> ready to come back on, just really enjoying the moment. And he thought, my word, it's going to be a long, long day. You know, we can't put this guy out of the game. He's already tearing us to pieces. Um, he's one of the players you'll hear on the commentary as Maradona just flies past him. And he said it did take him a long time because he is sort of, you know, he's a true Englishman and he still felt sour as an athlete after the defeat. He said it took him about 15, 20 years. And he said his feelings about that day now are, he was blessed to have shared the pitch with the greatest player of all time. And that's how he now reflects on it because he, he now understands that there's nothing they could have done to stop Maradona on that day. What did you think about that goal? Is it for you, Matt, the greatest of all time? Uh, I think in the context, I think knowing, as Jonathan rightly said, you know, knowing that that is what he, that is what he did. You know, it was, you know, obviously even by his standards, it was breathtaking in execution in the scale of the game. As you say, I mean, I've interviewed Gary Lineker about it. He said the pitch was a cabbage patch. It was sort of before the tournament, they'd basically put down patchwork squares and the squares were all moving around. Um, and 
so you know it was Maradona at his most sublime that tournament he if you know it's the nearest thing I've seen in a World Cup to a player just becoming unstoppable everything about the the, the execution of it is beautiful the fact that he does it all on his left foot you know you know he's going to do that you you almost feel like hang on a minute why you know you know he's going to try and do that feint and that turn, and yet it's still unstoppable. The fact that the, he sort of seems to delay the final, you know, um, coup de grace, you know, longer even than anyone else would have dared. You know, I think other players might have tried to poke it earlier. He just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. So everything about it is is just yeah, gorgeous. And I always remember I remember reading an interview with Valdano once, who was basically hurtling through the middle and kept, you know, kept thinking he's going to pass now, he's going to pass now, he's going to pass now, he's going to pass now. And he said, and in the end, all I could do was pick the ball out of the net, which is that, that was his role in the goal, basically. And he just said, you know, I got to be spectator to the greatest goal ever scored. And who could argue with that? It's the, um, it's a little dummy of the goalkeeper at the end. It's, it's, it's leaving Peter Shilton going the wrong way after that entire dribble to, to then just, as Matt says, just delay the coup de gras, um, the softest little subtle touch just to take it away from Chilton, who, as I say, goes goes completely the wrong way. And then to, to pass it in was the, the ultimate way to score. But there, there, was, there was some great YouTube footage of him at Boca Juniors around last night, and he scores not a similar goal because he doesn't, it doesn't, it's not preceded by the dribble, but it's quite a similar dummy of the goalkeeper in, in, in a little tight corner. And it was just him. It didn't come out of nothing. You know, he, he did that thing a lot. Um, what, what, what does, what is emblematic about that goal is it summed up how he could almost be a one-man team. And if you look at the Argentina team that played England that day, apart from Burashaga, um, Valdano wasn't a bad player. Batista, I, I mean, I, I don't think they were, I can't even remember who was on the pitch, but it wasn't a great team. And of course, it was a team that won the World Cup thanks to him. Uh, you're right. Thanks to him. Um, is it the greatest World Cup performance from an individual player that you've seen, Jonathan? Um, for those that didn't see the 1986 tournament, especially the final, um, was it about Maradona? I think it was. It was a. It was a crusade. It was a one-man crusade. Um, and you know, you even got to think about the backdrop of that final. That it was moved from Colombia, played at short notice. Um, it was it was there for it was a chaotic build up to the tournament and um a tournament with some brilliant teams in it, but one man that just grabbed hold of the whole thing and and, and sort of bent it to his will. Coming after the seventy eight World Cup where he wasn't picked, um and Argent, you know, he was felt to be too young and Argentina went on and won it, so he was deprived of winning it on home soil. Eighty two where he gets kicked out of the tournament. Um so we're coming in with that backdrop and um, he hadn't won much in his career by that point. He hadn't won the titles with Napoli at that point. So, so much, so much riding on it for him and to perform in that way. I think the only thing, the only, if I'm thinking about one man World Cups, the only thing that comes remotely close would be Zidane in 2006, who so very nearly um, managed to win a, a, a sort of France team that was past its best. So, much, so nearly won them that World Cup. And then, of course, had his. Uh, had his experience in the final, but you know, it's not really close. It's the only sort of slightly comparable thing I can think of. 
I think, I mean, because even, you know, the semi-final, it, you know, he scores two goals against Belgium and they are both beauties. I mean, they're both, one is just an instinctive finish. The other, he's running completely off balance across goal, still manages to get the perfect chip in. Uh, so they're, they're two wonderful finishes. I remember that, you know, again, unstoppable. I mean, basically, uh, as, as John says, a sort of, you know, ordinary by world-class standards uh, international team, they simply wouldn't have probably possibly might wouldn't have beaten England uh, or Belgium. I, I, I don't think there's any way they would have beaten Germany. It's not just with Maradona on the pitch as the ball player, but as say, as the leader, the guy who the rest of those, that team could look around with and think he's with us. He's leading us. We've got a chance because without that belief, absolutely no chance that Argentina win that 86 World Cup. Gentlemen, thank you. Uh, We're going to come back to you very shortly. We'll take a little detour to both South America and Naples next. We'll come back and get Matt Dickerson and Jonathan Northcross views on on what it's like to meet Diego Maradona, those of us that have been very fortunate to do that. Uh, We'll talk about 1994 and the legacy that Diego Maradona leaves the sport as well. Uh, But a reminder, uh, if you want to get more of our sports journalism, award-winning, of course, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times today. You'll get yourself one month free. Uh, Search thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game. And if you enjoy the podcast, just give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts in particular or whatever you use. Uh, Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss the next episode. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You're listening to The Game Podcast from The Times, uh, reflecting and sharing our memories of Diego Maradona today. Uh, As I said, we're going to take a little detour next. We're heading to South America and then uh, to Italy. Uh, Firstly, let's say hello to The Times Latin America correspondent, Stephen Gibbs. Hi, Stephen. Hi, how are you? Very well, indeed. Sad, sad news about Diego Maradona. It's been greeted here uh, in the UK and, and Europe with real sadness. I can only really imagine Imagine what it's like uh, down there in South America. Lots of mourning uh, when the news came. And also today, lots of people paying tribute to Diego Maradona as well. Tell us more. Yes, I mean, a real shock here in Latin America. And uh, a shock, people didn't believe it at first. Uh, There were rumours all over the place that this was fake news. Partly because, uh, you know, Diego Maradona had been written off many times, you know, both 
sort of uh, in sporting terms and and physically you know he'd been seriously uh, had very serious health challenges for the last 25 years so there were a lot of people who thought this wasn't true but when it emerged to be true complete shock and and we're seeing that um, uh, today uh, across the region and of course most particularly particularly in Buenos Aires where his wake uh, is taking place as I speak to you now and thousands of people many in the Argentine football shirt walking past his coffin uh, in the Casa Rosada which is is the presidential palace there in the Argentine capital. I saw pictures yesterday of television presenters in tears when the news broke. I've been to Argentina several times. He's seen as a god, you know, a religious figure in in many, many ways. Do you think we can truly comprehend over here in Europe just how Diego Maradona is seen there? Yeah, I mean, he really, lots of people I spoke to as this was sort of breaking yesterday uh, were in tears and were in, in, as I say, total shock and used the word God. You know, they said, our God is dead. You know, I mean, Argentinians are are really emotional about football and about life, really. And, uh, you know, they, they did see him as this man who came from, complete poverty and became a symbol of Argentina for for the good and for the bad, a sort of instinctive uh, football player and a sort of highly emotional person and uh, someone who, who really for, for, you know, when he was, when he was the, the, the football star, so put Argentina on the map as sort of, you know, the great football nation. So uh, complete, devastation and not just in Argentina I'm in Brazil at the moment you know obviously the main uh, football rival for its neighbor but but real emotion here and um, uh, one one someone I spoke to said uh, try you know in a, an attempt to try and understand this it's it's uh, it's a bit like Elvis Presley when Elvis Presley died in the United States that sort of you know someone that everyone recognized and knew and sort of had followed this up and down and in many ways tragic life you know when he'd gone they thought you know oh my god they they sort of hadn't expected it they expected to follow follow this turbulent life for for many many more years so real real sadness and 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 you know real surprise really that that it all ended so suddenly there has been a feeling especially when you talk about the health challenges that Diego Maradona had over the last 25 or so years that maybe that godlike status meant we 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 never really reeled in never really challenged or got to grips with the vices and addictions that Diego Maradona had during his life I wonder whether you agree with that, whether you think there could have been more done for Diego Maradona. Yeah, I mean, he sort of had a a two-part life in a way. You know, there was the sportsman and then there was this decline, you know, in his latter years. And uh, because he he sort of kept coming back from that, people perhaps thought he was immortal. But he definitely tried to to, you know, confront his demons, which were, you know, problems with addiction. And uh, he spent actually quite a lot of time in Cuba uh, in the early 2000s, where I was actually based as well. And, and you know, um, he, he was he was someone one occasionally, usually from a bit of a distance, would, would come across on the island. And he was there 
um, because Cuba uh, believed it had, uh, you know, its its rehab program could work for him. And actually, that all became quite interesting because he then became very close, in fact, to Fidel Castro. Uh, and uh, his leftist politics became, you know, part of his part of part of what he was, uh, you know, after his his football career, certainly on the field was was ending. He had a, a tattoo of Che Guevara. He had two actually on on his on his body, one on his shoulder, one on his leg. And uh, very happy to, to be extremely rude about uh, the United States. He went on to be friends also with Hugo Chavez in in Venezuela. Um, the rehab, though, I have to say, in, in Venezuela, he was he was promoting Cuban rehab because this big figure had gone there. But he clearly, of course, the great rebel Maradona was not at all taking any uh, notice of what his doctors might have been uh, saying to him. He was the person you'd spot in the nightclubs and uh, uh, partying on the beach, drinking away, big fan of cigars, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I think um, he, he, was a, he was a born rebel and he didn't really take his, his health perhaps as seriously as he should have. And, you know, unfortunately, despite the best efforts of, of many of the best doctors, in the end, Unfortunately, his his lifestyle caught up with him. I just wondered what the legacy for him might be. Well, the legacy, aside from the sporting legacy, um, uh, you know, one of one of the most famous South Americans of the last fifty years. Um, you know, including the politicians, etc. He was the he's the name that absolutely everyone knew, and you know, everyone just referred to him by his surname. Um, People I've met over the last twenty years covering this region have been, you know, on Facebook, etc. Everyone has a story about about Maradona, and and for for a lot of them, uh, it was it's that rebellious streak without question that um, uh, you know someone who who sort of came from nowhere and then. Um, became this massive hero and then came to represent something that, you know, still has quite a lot of support in this region. And that's the sort of, uh, we are Latin Americans against the big uh, bully to the north, uh, uh, the United States. He, he sort of played on that and represented that uh, uh, to, a, to a lot of people here. And, um, but of course, above all, uh, what's being shared at the moment, uh, you know, all over the world is just his his incredible skill on the pitch. Uh, Stephen Gibbs, The Times, Latin America correspondent in South America. Thank you for joining us from Brazil. A real pleasure to speak to Stephen and, and find out what's going on in Argentina. But let's move transatlantically next, much as Maradona did during his career, and head to Italy, Naples to be specific, of course, where Maradona had such a huge effect during his time playing for Napoli. Uh, on a busy morning in the city earlier, I caught up with the Times Italy correspondent, Tom Kington. Diego Maradona was more than a legend to those who support Napoli and were growing up in Naples at a time when the team was so successful for the first time in its history. How has his death uh, been received there? It's a religious event almost. The, the words that I'm hearing from Neapolitans as I, as I talk to them this morning, I'm, I'm here now, um, words like God and, um, 
uh, mourning and and uh, sort of Greek hero things things like that. So and and that's that's not people joking. I mean that's that's genuine earnest reactions. Um, what's what's interesting is that um, under the the many murals of Maradona that you see here in Naples, and for, for, forgive the background noise, I'm, I'm up in the Spanish quarters where uh, the mopeds are roaring past me every every second. Um, the, the murals uh, often here in, in town this morning um, have been uh, accompanied by um, shrines, if you like. So candles and um, pictures of San Gennaro, who is the saint, patron saint of Naples. So, you know, it's as if Maradona has been put up there in the pantheon of saints. Um, and, and that really, I think, reflects how big a deal he was for this city. For, for, for a city which had, had lived in the shadow of the north for so long until uh, Maradona arrived, not just in a football sense, but also in a social political sense. Naples was always a sort of poor, poor relation and, and frowned on and, and spat on, if you like, by, by the rich north. And Maradona changed all that because of the two um, Scudetti that he won with the team that really put the Napoli on the map for the first time. And everyone remembers that and, 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 and testament to that is the hundreds of Neapolitans who are called Diego today. And we saw pictures last night, late into the night, of fans in Napoli underneath a huge mural of Diego Maradona in the city, um, paying tribute, gathering together uh, in many ways to mourn their, their hero. Um, I wonder, and you talk about the socioeconomic and, and political aspects of when Diego Maradona arrived in the city, whether they have had a, a, a chosen son in many ways who's had such a, a big effect as him. Even though he was Argentinian, even though he was born on a different continent, he was actually a Neapolitan. Um, so pe people say, you know, you, you're, you're born Neapolitan. However, some people, some Neapolitans aren't born in aren't born in Naples. And he was he was one of those people. He really clicked with the city, uh, partly because he was he was a genius, but also because he was so vulnerable and had so many flaws. And that I think really appealed in the city, where where um, creativity is is explosive, but also the city has a dark side with the with the ever present mafia. Um, uh, and and, and uh, obviously uh, Maradona fell in with various mafia clans here, which helped him get on get on the road to his cocaine addiction. Um, but this is a this is a city that forgives, and and they've always forgiven him, and and they've always loved him because they see him as a as a long lost son. I wonder. I, I just think of Napoli and Naples and the time that Diego Maradona arrived, and I can't really place myself there and the emotion that went with winning the title for the very first time. Um, we know he's lauded. We know he was seen as a massive, massive hero to the club. I wonder what Diego Maradona's legacy is then in Naples and with Napoli. Does it, does it run through the team and the city to this day? Absolutely. Um, I was talking to one guy this morning who whose son is called Diego. And he said, uh, when, when I'm gone, uh, I, I'm hoping, I'm trusting in my son to hand down the, the memory, the, 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 the idea of the legend of Maradona to his kids. So who, who knows, maybe his, his grandchildren will also be called Diego. And, uh, and, and I think that that's a very keenly felt uh, 
ambition here in, in Naples is to keep these things alive. It's not just old guys in a pub saying, oh, people don't remember today, but this, he was a great player. They're, they're really working to ensure that uh, these things get handed down the generations. Our thanks to Tom Kington there in Naples, getting the view on the ground where, of course, Diego Maradona's death at the age of 60 has been received with real pain, of course, also in South America as well. Um, And it's very understandable given what Diego Maradona gave to the city of Naples, as Tom just described. You know, he had a huge effect on the the city, not just as a player on the field of play, but of course, um, you know, as the forgotten city of Italy in many ways, Naples needed rejuvenation and Maradona and his arrival there played a huge part in them getting that attention and that, for want of a better term, that winning feeling back. Um, do you remember, Jonathan, I'll start with you. Do you remember when Diego Maradona went to Serie A um, and, and seeing any of him? Did you? No, not really. Uh, it was sadly before, in terms of footage, it was just before Channel 4 sort of grabbed hold of, 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 of Italian football and, and Gaza went there. So very little footage, only really from the, the, the great Capadia film that, that, that Matt mentioned earlier. Um, I, I, read, I mean, certainly, you know, read, read about Matt Maradona when I could, read about those exploits. I mean, again, it, it, it was a team that, that, that didn't really have too much about it apart from Maradona. I think it was Carnevale, he was a good player, Ch- Chiro Ferrara, but I can't really remember many others. But, you know, I've been to, been to Napoli to, to watch games there. The San Paolo is a, is a unique experience. It's a, it's a unique city. It's, 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 a, it's a sort of, you know, chaotic um fascinating flawed city and he was a perfect perfect setting for him perfect emblem of that city and there's a sort of madness about going to that football stadium you get the the scooters of you know people arriving on the scooters outside and just the the, the kind of the, the smells and sounds and, and the noise within it um and I, I, the imagination runs wild when when you go there and you imagine what it must have been like when Maradona was at its peak. It's got this this kind of weird um, kind of tunnel that goes around the side of the pitch. It's almost like the kind of thing that they had in coliseums where the the gladiators would have to sort of stand before they came on. Um, and you just just picture Maradona in that setting. I mean, you know, in, in terms of if I could time travel, I think that would be one of the places I'd want to go to would be San Paolo in 1987 when Maradona was leading them to their first title. Matt, his time at Napoli, do you remember a- any of it? Um, I would say, like John says, it, it wasn't, I guess, Serie A it wasn't the age for, for footage, yeah, was it? Ha- well, yeah, hadn't quite become the sort of cult Channel 4 following by that stage that it had become <laughs> and everyone sort of walking around with um, the pink gazetta and trying to be uh, and, you know, si- sipping sipping espressos and and, and all imagining that we, uh, yeah, we'd all go off and live in Milan or Turin. But it, you know, it, the, the impact is absolutely astonishing. I mean, I don't think one, you know, athlete, singer, any walk of life, entertainer has ever arrived in a city and just tr- taken it over like that. I mean, you know, I, I spent some time there researching again and, you know, the, the sort of standard phrase you'd hear was that, you know, before he turned up, everyone had their picture of Jesus up on the wall. And by the time he left, everyone had a picture of Jesus and, and Diego up on the wall. And, you know, you could argue who was 
who was more worshipped and revered out of the two of them. I mean, it was it was that level of of deification. I mean, I think the amazing thing as well about the that that film is that it reminds you of just how exposed he was to that. You know, these days, you know, you have your compound, you have your gates, you have your team of minders, you have your you know eighty five PRs and agents and commercial representatives. You know, you can't get near, you cannot get near to Lionel Messi unless he wants you to get near to him. Maradona, you know, is out being chased down the down the streets he cannot leave his house without being mobbed he has got convoys of cars and scooters coming after him you know and he was he was out in the jungle fending for himself and and that's not an excuse for any of the sort of excesses that would come but i do think it's you know vital context for the lifestyle that he ended up living and embracing in in naples i spoke to um his agent at the time john smith last night who told me um, you know, he, he he said one of his greatest achievements as his agent was to allow him to not have to stop at red lights in Naples. He managed to get the police, convince the police that it was so important. My experience in Naples, no one stops at red lights. Um, <laughs> I, I have to say, it's, uh, it's, you know, which as Jonathan says, it, 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 if ever there was a city that was the, you know, born for sort of, you know, Maradona was born for uh, in Europe, it is Naples. Um you know, for for so many wonderful reasons and, as turns out, for some pretty sinister ones too. I think one of the things that John said to me as well was, um, you know, when it comes to the people that he was with, he was around, um, why he was probably exposed, as you say. He says today, you know, he would have a full management team around him. His life would be totally micromanaged. He would be taken away from the wrong people. He'd be put into the, the best possible circumstances for him. And that wasn't the case. Uh, at the time when he was in Naples, uh, it, there was just no real way that, it, that he could protect him from some of those outside um, factors. Um, and I, I wonder whether that that is is true because Diego Maradona was such a huge figure that maybe someone could have reached in at the time and, and maybe tried to, to help him some more. Um Footballers of his age, superstar footballers of the 80s, that didn't come close really. Um is he the first that went beyond superstardom? You know, is he the first megastar of, of football, do you think, Jonathan? Um, he was, no, I don't think so. I think I think people like Cruyff came before and Pelé transcended the game. Um, he, but of, of, of my generation, I suppose he was the first, um, he was the first, he was the first that you heard of being from, from Boy Wonder to the finished article, you know, and you, that's something we're used to now where talent is scouted from a very early age and you see, you, you see it before it's on the pitch at a first team level. Maradona was a bit like that. There was, there were all these stories about this, this kid, um, the Pibe Doro or whatever, forgive my pronunciation, the golden kid that, that had come out of Argentina. People were aware of him when they won the world cup in 78. There was a de the debate sort of did make its way into the, the sports press here about this kid that was he going to play or not. And then, um, and then, you know, when he, when you did see him, he was even better than the hype. So he was maybe the first, I feel that, 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 that we sort of followed his trajectory as a world all the way. And, and certainly um, in his later years, the, I guess the, 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 the 94 World Cup and the descent was, was also very, very public in perhaps a way that wasn't quite, 
so public for for previous superstars. But no, he what he he was he was our generation's Pele, I suppose. He was our generation's reference point. But I think Pele was was probably the first icon. Ozzy Ardiles, his former Argentina teammate, was saying today that um, Diego Maradona couldn't have a normal childhood. You know, it was so early that his talent was picked up. He never got to have uh, his real teenage years and never got to, uh, was never allowed to have a settled life. I wonder, Matt, whether he mentioned that, whether he reflected on his younger years and if it had affected him. Yeah, I think this, I think so. I mean, I think, you know, you bear in mind, he came from this shanty town, which is, you know, we're talking proper wrong side of the tracks. I've been there, you know, you can only go there with a, with an escort. I had, a, I had a police escort to take us into the um, into the area. It is, you know, it is about 25 miles outside Buenos Aires. No one goes there unless they have to. And, you know, he, he grew up in a hovel. There was a, you know, um, tap down the road and he lifted his family out of that into you know a different existence and he was carrying the burden of supporting his family from 16 you know he goes to Argentinos juniors he is shouldering that responsibility from the age where you know most kids are still doing their homework and again that doesn't excuse anything but I think it's vital context to to think of what it is like to be thrust into that and then he becomes the world's most ex- expensive footballer when he goes to Barcelona I think he's what probably only 21ish at the time you know and he's propelled to the other side of the world into a into a mad life and it this was it's not like none of this had ever happened well certainly without fee had never happened before and and there was a sort of superstardom and exposure to him that is undoubtedly part of the story I mean his character is part of the story and he he was clearly sort of built for excess in all sorts of, of, of ways. But at the same time, he was, he was almost sort of, you know, at the frontiers of this on his own for the first time. There was no manual about how to live this life. And, and again, I think, you know, I, I think all of that is vital context before people sort of go, well, you know, I've, read, I've just read too many sort of comments this morning of he was this and he was that and he was cheating and, you know, he had this terrible vice. But I think, I, I think we all have to put in this context around him as well. Do you agree, Jonathan? I spoke to John Smith. He said Maradona was too nice. That was one of his weaknesses. He couldn't say no to anyone or, or anything. Um, and, and whether this combination, this mixture of where he had come from, what he had gone into, where he was when he was in Naples and who he was um, frequenting with, you know, whether that was just the, the, the worst possible concoction. Yeah, I think of Gaza actually, or, or maybe a George Best, certainly Gaza, who I, I did know a little bit in, in, in that context in terms of being a sort of soft character um, and maybe a nice character and because of that then the the entourage the the hangers on the people around it wasn't able to repel them and i think that was the same for for maradona and what comes across in the in the capadia film is 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 the sort of gentle kind of guy that he was how nicely he treated people around him how how much they loved him because he had this um just this sort of very winning this mama's boy this affectionate kind of childlike niceness about him um and when you think of today's stars that you know i think to be a a top sports person you've got to be a mini corporation you've got to devote yourself to it 
in an almost business-like way and live a perfect life and have layers of people around you that that, that handle things for you as, as you know in a, in a in a commercial way and um and he had none of that he had none of those layers and that is actually rather than seeing that as as a sort of flaw i think that's actually what makes him um resonant and appealing um you know he he was he was had an ordinariness about him because he we saw his flaws and he he, he was made ordinary mistakes even despite having this extraordinary talent and today's stars we don't get to know them they're better protected it's better for them we get to see them longer on the pitch as a result as people perhaps they're not as um exposed or naked to the world do you agree matt yeah, hundred percent. I think that is that's why you know, say I described them. I think this morning is certainly you know, I think it's football's most sort of epic life and compelling life um, because it it felt like every bit of it was lived out there for us. I mean, that to to think that you know he's in Naples and he is transforming the game. He's doing things that no one's ever done before, and at the same time on the front page. Is this his child? Is this his son that's been born to him? That's you know becomes a front page deliberation. He goes to the '86 World Cup with that hang, hanging over him. I mean, this you know the drugs, you know it all becomes you know a, a, a very public story. And yeah, it felt like it really it felt like a sort of you know footballing Truman Show in the sense that you know, we'd never seen. No, I don't think we'd ever felt like that someone was, yeah, entire life was ex- exposed in this way when combined with the most extraordinary talent we've ever seen. So that's, you, you add all that up and, and I a, yeah, just find it absolutely transfixing as a, as a life. But also I find myself, I think like Jonathan feeling, you know, a really, I don't think anyone can watch that film and not come out sympathetic for Maradona. You know, he, there's a distinction made in it between Diego, who is this soft kid and the Maradona who sort of becomes this sort of, um, a sort of con- construct that he sort of builds and, and the sort of wild excesses. But I, I think underneath it all, you still see that there is this kid who just loves the football, who just lives for the game. And I think that's what, shines through by the end uh, and that's what you sort of find yourself find yourself clinging to. In 1994 though he's sent home I described it earlier as his, his lowest point I wonder if it, if it was being sent home from a World Cup for him and as someone that loves the sport so much at that huge tournament I imagine it was for him um, but it was there was this storm you know front page news all over the world Diego Maradona sent home for failing um, a drugs test and I, you know, I wonder how much that takes away from who he was as a footballer. Um, when you met him, Matt, did he reflect, you know, he's done so many interviews over the years and made, he makes these little comments. He always did about how he saw himself back then, how life was for him back then, what he has been as a person. I think he, he seems contemplative, if you see what I mean. Um, was he like that when you spoke to him? He was, but only in the sense of he, 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 would only apologize to his daughters i think is his was the way he came at it he he had this very strong belief that you know i've damaged myself more than anyone else you know you you someone else can go and get high and mighty about the cocaine he would say you know imagine the footballer i'd have been without it yeah that was that was a party drug um and it, you know he smashed his body by taking it um 
And he doesn't feel like he's got anything to apologize for that because he was damaging himself. He says, you know, all the other indiscretions of his life, you know, he was very adamant. He, he would apologize to his daughters and, and, and no one else. And he was not a role model for your kids, my kids, anyone's kids. You know, he was a go. And, and I, I take that, you know, I, I, I understand why he says that. You know, he, he said, you know, if, if your kids are screwed up, that's, that's, that's sort of, you know, that's, that's, your, that's your lookout, not mine. And, uh, <laughs> and, and I think, you know, I'd say the one, you know, the 94 drugs uh, case, you know, he still clung, I think, you know, sort of, again, yeah, out, outrage outrageously is what he did best, and he still was clinging pretty outrageously to that being some kind of FIFA plot. And you know, he he was enemies out to shaft him. You know, I, ultimately he's got to take that responsibility for that. But the the idea that you know he never said he was going to be a saint. He never you know. I think the one thing we don't like is hypocrisy. We don't like people to sort of set themselves up as you know, whiter than white and, and, and then for it all to sort of fall down. And I, I think, you know, in Maradona's case, you know, he, he never set himself up to be, uh, yeah, saintly or, or the best role model for your kids. He set himself up to be the best footballer in the world. What legacy do you think he leaves, um, Jonathan? You know, he, he's so remarkable in so many ways. There's almost a legacy, a lesson to learn from him in terms of life, and a lesson to learn from him in many ways in terms of football as well. How do you see it? Yeah, I, I, maybe it's because of my generation, but I kind of see him as the, I see him as him and Pele as 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 the two reference points of football still, the sort of yin and yang. And um, if Pele was kind of perfection, athletic perfection, um, you know, the statesman-like um, perfection, um, of the personality, then Maradona was was all the other stuff equally brilliant, but um, very flawed, very um, individual, um, very much the fighter, very much the the underdog, and um, you know if we're talking about modern legacies, well, he's you know he is the father of. Lionel Messi and in, in, in the football father of Lionel Messi, who um, may go down as even may go down as even greater than both of them. I don't know. Um, I think we will reappraise him now um, and watch the footage properly and get past the hand of God. I think we will in in this country. I certainly hope we will, and just celebrate um, what a, what what an unbelievable and, and unique talent that he was and just thankful to have lived in an era where um you know i was a kid when he was at his peak what 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 a what privilege that was you know the 80s were full of joys like that ian botham at cricket and and Lionel messi um sorry diego maradona on the football pitch and those great world cups um i'm just you know his was a gift that they shared with us and and, and i'm so thankful to have to have witnessed a bit of it Matt, what's your view, the legacy of Diego Maradona? Yeah, well, Jonathan put it beautifully. I think, uh, you know, above all, I go back to being a kid, watching him, being a teenager. I think that's the, I'm trying to, you know, I've got a piece to write about him today and that's that's the sort of tone I'm, I'm hoping to strike that, that you know, and, and you just, you know, it's one of those days where, you know, I, I despair of social media many times, but this is one of those 24 hours where I've loved it because it's so many people sharing 
so many beautiful stories, so many reminiscences about what he meant to them, where they were when they watched this goal, or have you seen this bit of footage, or people sharing. And that's, you know, that's social media at its best, where everyone sort of communes and celebrates uh, an amazing life. And that's so, yeah, above all, I feel, you know, 15, 16, 17 again, just seeing this phenomenon and just thinking, wow, that, that, that's possible. <laughs> Someone can do that. You know, that's, that's, that's how I feel. And that's, uh, I think that, yeah, that's, that's why I'm going to be sort of sticking to for the next few days. I'm going to stick that film on and I'm going to do it again. I'm just going to think, wow, a man did that. He was incredible in every single way. Uh, gentlemen, Jonathan Northcroft and Matt Dickinson, thank you for being with me for the last uh, hour-ish or so. Um, yeah, well, look, I, I didn't want to do it in true Harry Redknapp style. I didn't want to say it because the lad's here, you know, but Matt Dickinson has written a fantastic piece uh, in The Times today. And I, I think we should leave with the first paragraph of it because I think Matt has summed it up so well. That he had such peerless control of a ball and so little restraint over much over the rest of his existence made Diego Armando Maradona arguably the greatest and definitely the most compelling footballer that ever lived. Uh, he has sadly passed away at the age of 60. Those were our memories of Maradona. Thank you for joining us on the Game Podcast. Just a reminder to subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times for more of the latest news from the footballing world. Uh, just search thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game and you'll get yourself one month free. We'll see you on Monday. you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.